0: Hello. Hello. Ah, Hi. we have and we have a. Uh, Sam. We have um, hello. Hi. How's it going?
1: Yeah. Okay. It's uh, late evening here. It's nine p.m. So um. Yeah, a little cool. bit uh, weary. <laughs> it's all right.
2: It's,
0: right. It's uh, seven so... o'clock
2: in the morning here.
0: Uh, it's 1 p.m. here in the UK. All uh, right, Steph's just connecting. Oh, there I see a Rich. Hi, everyone. Hello, Hi, Rich.
2: Hi,
0: Sam. All right. Hi, Miranda. Yeah, I'm good. This is super exciting, isn't it?
2: <laughs> I am nervous.
0: <laughs> Are you? That's, that's all right. It's, just treat this as like a casual conversation. It's cool. I've
2: never uh, done a podcast before, so
0: <laughs> I've never right, done a live so, group chat like this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you know what though? When I tweeted that out, I was expecting maybe one or two people, but the response was insane from you guys. So I really appreciate that. Um, B G R Q E S F P. Who yeah, are that's, you? Just...
3: That's me. That's Catherine. Can you hear me?
0: Oh, Catherine. Yes, I can uh... hear you. Though. Yeah, right. I,
3: I didn't. I didn't do the the real uh, name, but I think uh, I'm in here. So that's, that's yeah. Most that's important. fair.
0: Alright, so can you all hear me?
4: Been... Ooh, sorry. Yep. Oh wow, okay. To... Hi. <laughs> sorry. Hi there. Just wanted to check. Hi. Thanks.
0: Michael. Right. So Steph has just been sent an invite. So uh yeah. we're just waiting on one more person, and I believe that is um so Emily. Yeah, we're just waiting on Emily in that case. But if she if if she doesn't get here for um, one o'clock, that's fine. She can just join us when she's here. That's no problem. Um, oh, I see Fried. That's Emily. Okay. Um, not sure what's happened with Steph. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll sort that out. Hi, Emily. Um, Hello, Emily. Cool, right? Six hours right on, here. Amazing. Um, so Steph is here. She's—I've sent her an invite. Um, uh, she's tried calling in, but she's not connected yet. So, uh, well, hopefully she'll—hopefully um, she'll be able to. Um, right, one minute to go. Until we're uh, until we're uh, do this. Either way. Anyway, my, my show is not often at a good time, so if we don't get any live listeners, don't worry about it. Um, but we do... This show <laughs> typically we're da- is downloaded about, um, about you know, 300 400 downloads per episode usually. So, right. Um, okay, Steph said try calling in, but it... Um, I'm going to say log out and try again. Okay. Um, right. It is one o'clock. So I am going to play the intro jingle, um, and, uh, we'll get going. Oh, all right. Let me know if, uh, let me know if you can hear Live this. Live
5: from London, this is the Saturday
0: Lunch with Joseph Hammond. Okay, good afternoon if you're in the UK. Good morning and good evening if you are anywhere else. My name is Joe Hammond. I am a primary school music and tech specialist. And today we have seven guests. That's right, seven and we're talking Dungeons & Dragons, tabletop RPGs in education. It's going to be a good live one. Live from London,
5: this is the Saturday Lunch with Joseph Hammond on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org. Or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out. With Teachers Talk Radio.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um, So, whoops. Today is a very exciting show because, um, as I said, I don't have just one guest, I have seven today. I think that deserves a few DJ Air Horns. (laughs) i mean you know that is super exciting so just so people that are listening know this is the maximum number of people that you can have on a podbean live stream um so actually if there are any other listeners um they cannot actually call in at this point um so if anyone I'm uh, not that i usually get call- uh, callers but They'll just have to. Um, they'll just have to type in their message anyway. So, as I said, seven guests today, all of whom are involved with Dungeons and Dragons or other tabletop RPGs in some way, in some fashion, and um, yeah. We're going to have a roundtable discussion on Dungeons and Dragons tabletop RPGs in education um, and um, the benefits of that, the positive things that can come out of that. So just want to start by having all seven of you introduce yourselves. So, Michael, you, since you're unmuted, do you want to start?
4: Oh, sure. And apologies, I didn't realize. Um, So I'm Michael Lowe. I'm a veteran classroom teacher. I also design games, and I've been teaching using games that I've designed for online learning, uh, and I've been having crazy results (laughs) in writing, speaking, presentation, and a whole range of skills. So thank you so much for having me on. You can find me at luckoflegends.com.
0: Brilliant. So um, Miranda, would you like to go next?
2: Sure. Um, my name is Miranda um, of uh, World of Chord D&D, and uh, my husband and I are both educators. We are both music educators. I teach uh, strings. My husband teaches band, and we started nice. doing uh, Dungeons and Dragons with our children uh, during the pandemic. We were doing virtual school, and we started taking courses with a uh, Game to Grow, of uh, and we're learning how to do... Um, tabletop rpgs in both a therapeutic and educational setting and we've been using these educationally with our children and we're starting to do this more with uh, other children in our community as well
0: amazing um okay sam would please introduce Hi. yourself
1: yeah um i'm my name is sam chung i am known online as the educational dm um i started running dungeons and dragons as a Extracur- extracurricular activity about five or six years ago, and I mean, I'm I consider myself more of a schoolmaster than uh, a maths teacher. So I work in boarding schools where the extracurricular side is is really really important, and I suddenly realised that this game I was playing with my students um, was ticking all of the boxes in the kind of things that you you know you see the articles that say. What, do, what, what are things that schools should be teaching but aren't teaching? And all of those kind of uh, pastoral things and critical thinking and problem solving and all of these things that my students were getting really excited about um, and just learning naturally through the game. And so I got really excited. And since then, I've, kind of, uh, I've been blogging about it. And uh, I'm on Twitter and Facebook promoting all of this um, in lots of
0: different spheres. Brilliant. Uh, Thank you, Sam. Okay, Rich, please introduce yourself.
6: Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Uh, My name's Rich, um, otherwise known as Hatchling DM on most social media platforms. Um, So I've worked for um, a deaf charity for over a decade now. Uh, My wife and I have worked there for a long time. And I kind of woke up one morning and thought, um, what if I combine my, um, my day job with my my favorite hobby of role playing. So uh, we came up with the concept of um, a game that teaches sign language. So it's called Inspirals, and we got the sequel overalls coming out on Kickstarter in February. And that's basically what it does. Yeah, it sort of teaches you the uh, basic foundations of sign language, uh, British and American
0: as standard. Amazing. Okay, Um, Catherine, please introduce yourself.
3: Yeah, hi. My name is Catherine Fisher. I'm from Germany and um, I'm originally a teacher for yeah all ages <laughs> and many subjects mm-hmm. and at the moment I am I'm using TTRPG at occupational therapy and I'm into um, doing TTRPG for education and uh, various um, yeah therapeutic uh, things you can do with it and I'm also uh, in a team of some um, Science, uh, scientific people who want to, um, yeah, um, look how how you can use TTRPG for education, and um, we are we are doing a book thing at the moment, and that's a lot of uh, fun and interesting stuff in it.
0: Okay, thank you, Catherine. That sounds very exciting. Um, Emily, please introduce yourself.
7: Good morning from Alabama. Um, I'm Emily Friedman, and uh, I am a college professor at a state uni uh, here in Alabama, where I am trained as an 18th centuryist book historian and digital humanist. I've done a lot of work in active learning and project-based learning, and I'm doing a lot with tabletop role-playing games as objects to be analyzed and aesthetically discussed uh these days um so i just finished running a course um a class um in tabletop role-playing games as stories uh and you can find that syllabus online and some video uh, reflections i did day by day at my youtube channel critical prof i'm everywhere on the internet at freed F R I E D.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Emily. And last but by no means least, Steph, please introduce yourself.
8: Hello, I'm Steph, and I am an engineer and a professor. But where I come into the TTRPG community is I started playing tabletop role playing games with my then two year old and started finding all these resources spread uh, all over the place online. I compiled them into a blog and that led to me making games for a preschool um, to help with their social emotional curriculum and I've kind of gotten really steeped into TTRPGs specifically for really young kids and trying to share that knowledge and bring together resources for parents and educators. So it's a little easier for them to find it all in one spot.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so that those are our seven guests. Um, so <clears throat> the first thing that I think I wanted to talk about and wanted to ask you all is, so now being a massive nerd, um i i'm in i'm into video games i'm also into tabletop rpgs and dungeons and dragons and stuff so what i wanted to ask all of you is because i'm sure we've all experienced this um we i'm sure we've all experienced having to explain what dungeons and dragons is or what a a role playing the kind of role playing games we do are to people that have never heard of them before or have no idea what they're all about. So um, how would you explain what you do or how would you explain these games to uh, a colleague like a fellow teacher or somebody that has no idea what it's all about? Feel free to uh, just unmute yourself whenever you want to say something.
7: The way that I usually uh, define it and uh, the course I just finished, almost all of the students were new or they were very hardcore already in the space, um, is that tabletop role-playing games are collaborative storytelling experiences where there's an element of chance that has been uh, kind of baked into our time together, either through card turns, dice rolls, or some other mechanic that adds the element of the unexpected that no one at the table can control.
0: Sweet. Uh, Does anyone else want to add to that? How would you describe it?
1: I I would say likewise, in terms of collaborative storytelling with the element of chance, but um, I think it's actually rare that people don't know or haven't come across it already nowadays. And rather than, I mean, I, I, while I do describe it, I would say, come and see. And as soon as they see it, actually they pick it up very quickly. And, uh, and I think that's the best way to explain it, to be honest with you.
0: Cool.
4: Yeah, that's actually um, very much my experience as well. And Dr. Friedman uh, gave an excellent explanation. And I know you work a lot with uh, critical role and some of the more popular actual plays. And one of the cool things there is a lot of people are starting to approach the hobby with a, a greater understanding of what role playing is because it is everywhere. Uh, it's in our video games. A lot of the structure of our video games has taken, uh, taken a lot of guidance from classic uh, Dungeons & Dragons. And uh, Critical Role has really expanded the understanding of it as a storytelling and an improv hobby, which I think is really wonderful. A lot of people are approaching it now with a lot of joy and a lot of interest.
0: For, for those listeners that don't know, Critical Role is an extremely popular YouTube channel slash podcast slash media franchise. And it's basically video game, anime, uh, voice actors playing Dungeons and Dragons, so it can be it can be very entertaining. <laughs> cool. Um, so does anyone else want to add to uh, add to that?
3: Yeah, I would I would say something. Um, my experience is that uh, talking to teachers, it's you have to explain to them what's the difference between um, a TTRPG to to other role uh, plays you you do uh, at school because they know. Um, uh, other forms of role playing games uh, of, of playing with roles at school. And so you have to, to talk to them what's the difference. And I think that one good thing is that more people know uh, TTRPG now, but we have to talk to them that it's not uh, what we do at these classes and courses is not um, always the same thing they see in the media. and that's um, most uh, the, the important point often is that's uh, less violent. And so it can also be confusing for them to to see these things at the media, um, they, because they are a bit different to this. What what I am do, doing, it's mm. not all about fighting, and that could be something they they would expect. if, they, if I just say I'm playing D and D.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's something that several people have noticed about D D is that um, unless you do leveling up via a milestone the only way to gain experience points in the core rules is by, you know, it is through violence. And so uh, that I guess that's where the milestone comes in.
2: Building kind of off of that, like, because I mean, where I live, I mean, there's still a lot of people that have this stigma in mind about what Dungeons and Dragons is. So when explaining what it is that we're doing, I would have to include like all of the benefits and how tabletop RPGs and things like that can actually help children educationally or therapeutically. Um, Not so much having to describe how to play the game or what the game is, but how it's beneficial because I mean, in a lot of places, I know there is still that stigma of the satanic panic and all that kind of stuff attached (laughs) to, you know, the name dungeons and dragons and, and things like that. So discussing how, these games can be beneficial to children is more what, what I would do when explaining what it is.
4: Yeah, I, um, I design exclusively nonviolent games um, because I work exclusively with 7 to 13-year-olds. And I think the other thing is that sort of D&D is so big in this space that absolutely people's perception of the hobby as a whole is really shaped by Dungeons and & Dragons. And the truth is there are so many games out there um, and all of them center around a communal collaborative storytelling that happens in a group. And the cool part about that, when you talk about video games, and a lot of people understand how video games can, can foster learning because they've seen Minecraft and everybody's played something that they've had a, a learning experience with. But with a tabletop role-playing game, it's, it's mentor-guided. And you can do a lot more as a teacher when you've got a group of kids to help them foster relationships with each other and overcome adversity. We talk a lot in education about helping kids connect classroom experiences to lived ones. They call it um, activating prior knowledge. And some of the most exciting Mm -hmm. neuroscience research right now, um, I've got a little bit about this on some of my blogs at luckoflegends.com. They show that brains process imaginary experiences in a similar way to real ones. So imaginative play, stories, you know, and anyone who's been blown away by a book and really gotten swept up knows this at an intuitive level. But the research has borne this out. There is a real change in your in your neural neural chemistry, your architecture based on imaginative play. And that gives a huge and powerful tool to teachers who would love to engage kids fully and immerse them in the learning experience. And it also lets kids create really powerful bonds and classroom culture, which is another huge element uh, in the learning space. If you can get kids to rely on each other and trust each other, they can be vulnerable. And trust is where you start to build a really student-centered, powerful learning culture. So it's been really exciting for me for ticking all the boxes that we all struggle so hard to tick in in every...
0: Yeah. Now, um, Steph, I want to come to you now because um, I have actually used some of your Story Guide uh, things in um, in my own with my own kids. So, sort of, what what's your experience of explaining to people how you do how you do what you do, and sort of reassuring people that the things, the RPGs that you've written are not violent.
8: So first off, I am extremely flattered you've actually used my games. So thank you for that. Yeah, really um, good. Thank you. So um, usually, what I will do to explain to parents or teachers who are starting it out with, especially really young kids, is that essentially you're telling a story with each other. Um, a lot of times, really young kids can't handle a lot of mechanics. So it becomes more like interactive story time than having a full-blown game. And one of the important things for that is making sure that the story fits your child. Um, A lot of the tips and tricks that I've put on my site focus on making the game suitable for your child's age. Uh, Like we've been discussing there's a little bit of a stigma that tabletop RPGs are about fighting or that that's a primary focus. Mm. Um, But it doesn't have to be, it can be about social and emotional uh, development. And that's what I tend to focus on in my games. Um, There's no fighting. It's there's conflict, sometimes conflict between different characters, but there's always a way to solve it without violence. And that's something that's really important to teach kids early on and a way to make it appropriate for them. Uh, think about shows like uh, Daniel Tiger is one of my son's favorites. And in that one, there's conflict all the time. Um, Daniel Tiger smushes his birthday cake on accident or something like that. And then it goes into, instead of watching that on a show or reading in it reading about it in a book. Now your child is role-playing that in a game and trying to determine how they're going to solve that. Um, The dragon is lonely. How do they address that problem? Something doesn't go as planned with uh, the Yeti is trying to go into the winter festival and is nervous about it. How do they address that? So there's a lot of different ways that you can go with this and breaking it down in the simplest way you're telling a story with each other and that's how I always start my explanation
0: yeah so um I because it's interesting that because um when when I've um sometimes obviously all of you especially those of you that work with younger kids you'll try to keep violence out of it as much as uh, as much as possible. Now, that being said, um, what would you do? Because I actually experienced this when I was running Steph's own, um, the the one with the uh, wizard performing at the King's, uh, uh, King's birthday party. And loads of the kids embraced it really well and came up with some very creative responses but one just decided to be super violent and you know what's the first spell oh i i make a sword and i chop the king up into pieces um and you know we had to we had to say to we had to say to this this child look no we're trying to we're trying to be kind to everybody so if that happened and you were running a game how would any of you approach that
3: if it's all
4: right oh no please go ahead no no no.
3: (laughs) okay i think this depends on um yeah if it's the first time playing this game and the kid doesn't know the yeah, the the rules or the the kind of story we want to tell. I would explain it, but if it's someone who who tries this this again, uh, I just would uh, let the kid have the consequences. Maybe it, it wouldn't be um it, it wouldn't succeed in killing the king, but maybe it would would be arrested for it and um have uh yeah have to go with the consequences by doing this. Mm.
4: Yeah, I, I uh, 100% agree, although I, I got to frame this differently. I get excited every time kids. Um, so one thing that's great about play and that's really exciting about these story games is it gives kids an opportunity to test boundaries and to sort of transgress. And any teacher knows that in the classroom, this is sort of part of what you do, right? You invite opportunities for kids to interact, and then you, you try to guide them. So I've had this in a lot of my games. My games are explicitly non-violent. I've got a a blog up about both Dungeons and Dragons and how the system tends to push you towards violence, and also about non-violent design and why I think violence in games are something we need to question because it's in our media. A lot of kids come to the table with the expectation of violence as a solution because that's our cultural narrative. In movie after movie and book after book, problems are something you manifest into someone that you dislike, someone who is the bad guy, and who you then hurt until the problem's solved. And of course, in the real world, that's not how it works. And that's usually where I start my discussion. I'm a big believer in games allowing kids to explore and discuss difficult topics. So the minute some kid says, okay, I'm going to the, chop them up with a sword. All right when was the last time everybody in here experienced something where there was a problem and someone got violent? And I'll say, you don't have to talk about it. This isn't something you have to share if you're not comfortable with it, but everybody take a moment. Did things get better or did they get worse? And there are some very pained expressions at the table when you ask that question. And then we we have the conversation. What would happen if you did this? What would the consequence be? How would people be likely to react? How would people think about your character after that? Would they think of them as heroic, or would they be afraid of them? And the final question is always, is this the story we want to tell together? I'm a big believer in story games giving agency to kids, which is one of the reasons they can be so transformative. And it lets the kids have that discussion. And invariably, there's, there's an involved one, and some kid will say, yeah, that's not the story I want to tell. And once everybody's figured out the story they do want to tell, they'll say, all right, well, then let's figure out some other way to deal with this. Um, My role as teacher is guide and mentor and coach, but I'm not going to push them towards one or another outcome. I'm going to let them have that discussion. I'm a big believer in centering the learning on kids. And that's one thing that story games do really well. They give a lot of agency and control to kids, which is something we often take away from them. And I think that's sort of...
0: Brilliant. I love the way you frame that, Michael. Um, Go on, Emily.
7: Oh, what Michael's describing is a really good example of age-appropriate safety tools. Um, Safety tools are increasingly used uh, used by um, gamers of all ages as what's called a session zero, where everyone sits down and asks that question, what is the story that we want to tell together? What do we want to make sure that we include um, and what do we wanna make sure that we either don't include at all or don't include in a detailed way? Um, so for example, um, one, of, uh, one of the kind of uh, not intense examples is, you know, how do you feel about spiders, right? Um, are spiders something you think are neat and cool, but some people get scared of them. So do we want to not have spiders at all in this story? Are we okay with spiders as long as we don't talk about all their creepy legs or they drop on people? You know, or you know, or some other version of that. And uh, Kiana Shaw and a bunch of other people have created lots of things. Um, there's the TTRPG safety toolkit. There's the X card. There's a whole suite. I think that of educate the things that educators and parents and players can use as a way to frame that initial conversation in a way that empowers everybody. Um, When I talk to, I'm a teacher of teachers and so often what we talk about is what are the boundaries that we're going to kind of take ownership of as the kind of instructors in the classroom so that nobody else feels like they have to be the one to draw a particular line. Um, and so kind of writing that balance between what Michael says as, you know, the agency of everyone in the, in the collaborative effort, but also kind of making sure that there's some kind of initial boundaries, uh, that we can all, uh, generally agree on. Um, and also thinking about what we as parents or as educators can handle ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, uh, Safety toolkits are a great innovation of recent years that um, absolutely should be part of the conversation.
0: Great. Absolutely. Um, I, noticed, I just noticed that Rich and unmuted himself. I think he wants to say something. Thank gone, you, Rich.
6: Yeah. Um, just, just, just to um, uh, piggyback on that a little bit. Um, basically, it's, da- it's also down to like um, uh, game designers, really, uh, in the all ages and family friendly space to kind of adapt their mechanics and systems. Uh, to incorporate the, um, the kind of non-violent approach in some ways. I know from our, from our point of view, for Rince um we've got um, sort of like uh, polarizing uh, sort of ways of earning XP. So uh, you earn belief by doing sort of like uh, altruistic tasks and by, by, but also by using the elements in a non-violent way to resolve uh, puzzles and conflicts. So, uh, and adversely, you, you earn disbelief for, for, you know, committing sort of um, violent acts. Oh. So it's raid so within the mechanics.
0: Kind of reminds me of Undertale a little bit.
6: Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly, yeah. Or, yeah, exactly, exactly that, yeah.
0: Yeah, where, where Undertale makes you think that, you know, um, it's it, experience points and level up, but actually it stands for something else, and actually it makes you feel really bad about it. <laughs> uh, All right, Miranda. I think wants to come in. (laughs) Yeah, I
2: wanted to kind of build off of that session zero and kind of coming up with those safety tools and things like that. Um, You know, if if some of the children are like nervous and they're afraid because they know that other kids want violence and things like that, they're not comfortable with it. You can do things like a yes please and a no thank you list, where it's Mm. anonymous, and they turn that in. But then also kind of help like working together to create the rules the game like and but not setting like okay here are the rules but coming up (laughs) with like an adventures you know or or guide to good adventuring or you call them you know like gorgamix you know guides for amazing adventures and things like that so that Mm -hmm. they all kind of have that set okay this is what we're going to be doing together but that way they're involved in the process and then by having those like anonymous lists as well those students that are uncomfortable with certain things can still let you know without outing themselves as being the one that said, no, I don't want this, you know, because they want them to be comfortable as well in that setting.
0: There's a brilliant mechanic in, um, again, No Thank You, Evil, where you're basically able to do that because a kid can say to the DM, the game master, put their hand up and say, no, thank you, Evil. And that's an actual game mechanic that lets that child say to the DM, I am not comfortable with this. Can we do something else, please? And That's I'd a love
2: wonderful it. game for children. It is that is yeah. a great game.
0: Brilliant. Okay, Sam wants to uh, come in on that. Yeah, I I think I
1: come from a, from a, a bit of a different angle from most of these guys because uh, I come a, uh, most of what I do is with teenagers, older teenagers, and I see increasingly um, students who uh, come. Uh, from a video, uh, video game background, uh, and I, I often talk about one of my first uh, sessions where um, I had a student, uh, kind of a devout Muslim student, really, really nice kid, well-liked, uh, very gentle, and he wanted, you know, so he we were wandering through a, a village that was being attacked by cultists, and uh, we were taking some of the... Uh, kind of uh, the the villagers through to the central keep, and um, he wanted to loot the houses. And I said, "What do you, you know? The the villagers are right there. If you loot their houses, then w- what's going to happen?" And he said, "Well, they're they're burning down anyway, so they're not. They don't. You know, it's it's going to be destroyed anyway. So I'm I want to loot the houses." And I think with teenagers, they are they're very used to kind of being. Told things um, and things explained to them, but I think that there is some you know, There's a lot of power in actually playing that out, as Catherine was saying earlier, just seeing the consequences of what would happen, and then having to deal with those consequences. And I think that that uh, that has a power in itself. I and I know this is possibly controversial, but I have let one or two PvP things play out and then the students later on come to me and said oh, that was a mistake i really shouldn't have been so selfish in being kind of trying to hoard all the magic items and um and they realize that they can work with one another so i used to um i used to run a lot of uh, young enterprise companies um and students get really so this is where they form a company of them so, uh, and uh, form a company Uh, and it's often with their friends and one of the big I found always found that one of the big learning points uh they had from that is that when they formed the company with their friends they often found that it wasn't so easy just because they're your friends it doesn't always work out you know um it's not always easy in fact often it's harder working with your friends because they 're doing something you don't like and, and you have to deal with that com- uh, yeah, that conflict it's very much part of the uh, the Tuckman's um, group progression so in that sense with I think with the older teenagers especially when they come with the expectation that they are they're going to be playing a conflict game again from from video games that um, playing that out especially when they you know play like murder hobos and they kind of they do something that is very selfish, seeing the consequences can be really useful for them.
0: Um, just, Just for those that are not familiar with tabletop RPG lingo, murder hobos is a term that's used where I think I would describe it as somebody who creates a character that sort of is overly violent. Is that a good explanation of that? the i think it's more than just overly
1: violent i think it's um i think it's m- kind of killing things in the wrong uh context i mean there is going out yeah. and killing evil things but, you know people like i mean to go out and kill evil monsters who are yeah yeah and and not really think about the consequence of that too much but it it might be going into shop i don't want to pay that much money so i'm going to kill the shop owner and then so that kind of
0: Selfish, murderish attitude. Violence yeah.
2: for the sake of violence.
4: Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: that's a good that's a good description.
4: I would say this this opens a door to talking about mechanics in games as being really central to how play emerges. Because even that basic concept, although I'm not a fan of the the term, uh, I do think it's sponsored by mechanics. Uh, even something like looting the houses. In Dungeons and Dragons, there's a very powerful push to define your character's abilities and powers by how much wealth and magic you can accumulate. There's also a push to, you know, even that that framing, right? Evil monsters. This is one of the things that I really love about the potential for story games is that you can really help kids work through uh, the question of, okay, well, what is evil and what's a monster and how do you know and Dungeons and Dragons sort of bakes that into the system. You can look up a monster and it says right in the in the entry next to its name that it's evil. And that creates a sort of automatic and I think very problematic categorization where people say, okay, it looks like this. Great. I know it's terrible and I can kill it. And I don't have to feel any guilt about that. So... In terms of like dealing with older kids and running for uh, for kids who who are interested in and sort of wrestling with questions of morality and ethics and and uh, and want to transgress those boundaries, um, I usually play through uh, problematizing violence. So I'll allow them to figure it out, and then I'll confront them with the ethical dilemma that they've created. And uh, the problem I have is that you know that's not an appropriate level appropriate thing to do with younger kids. And there's a lot of great ways you can bake cooperation, collaboration, empathy, asking questions, building bonds into the mechanics. So in most of my games, you can leverage your relationship with other characters, both other players in the game, but also non-player characters, to get extra dice to overcome obstacles. I know Steph has played this uh, with her son. She very kindly had me on her uh, her site, and she's played Starsworn. It's a a game that's now out. It's print and play. It's at storiesrpg.com. And it's for parents and kids to play through together. And while it's never explicitly said in the rules that you can't be violent, there are a range of different ways you can approach problems. And there are some prompts for what types of things you might attempt to do. And this is from powered by the apocalypse games. These are called moves. So you can get physical. You can try to influence somebody. You can try to figure it out. And this gives a lot of ideas for how to solve a problem without being prescriptive. Um, So there are a lot of ways to bake into the story and bake into the mechanics of the game. And this is that teacher agency that Dr. Friedman was talking about in shaping how the experience plays out that can help teach kids a lot of those those, uh, those non- Non-immediate skills, and Sam was talking about, you know, helping kids resolve interpersonal conflict by letting them play it out, and that can be very powerful as long as everyone using safety tools at the table has agreed to that encounter, and that that can provide a sort of safe space in which to have an uncomfortable conversation and learn a lot.
0: Mm, I th- okay, Catherine, I can see you've unmuted yourself. Yeah. Do you want to uh, <laughs> come?
3: Okay, I think that's uh, that's really the, the right idea, and I also think that some of the mechanics, um, yeah, from D and uh, as an example, are really, um, yeah, not so well designed for um, making yeah <laughs> communication with, with modern monsters, and that's that's mm. a real problem. But I think for for the younger children, um, sometimes the mechanics are not so important, or maybe there's more. About um, being rewarded for um, doing nice things like uh, by, no, by uh, no Thank You Evil or, or Tales of Equestria. And a good thing you can do, or what I did with really. Uh, tale, hang on, one, Tales of
0: Equestria. Is that tale, the My Little Tales Pony?
3: Tale, yeah. yeah, Is this... that the
0: My Little Pony one?
3: That's the My Little Pony uh, yeah, game. I and so. I do this a lot. And I had a funny experience when I, when I switched from Tales of Equestria. To uh, it's uh, called uh, Beyond the Wall. It's a, it's an easy old school D D version, and and in <laughs> the plot on this this game, there was they, they had to uh, yeah to to they, they met some goblins, and the first thing they did because they were ponies until this moment, they said, "Okay, goblins, what's your problem? Why are you so angry? How can we help you?" And um, that's uh, that showed me that the mechanic they first learn something really important because it, it shows them the way or ways they can play. And but another idea is also you can do something uh, with a storytelling. What I do with little children is that I um, give them some, yeah, maybe evil uh, wolf or uh, evil creature, uh, crocodile they, they see and they think it is uh, the enemy. But then uh, this, this animal or this evil creature starts to talk to them and that's, that's a moment when they realize I don't have to fight, I just can talk to it. Um, they, they change what they are doing. They, they go into the communication and, and try to find an, another way. And th- for this you don't need um, mechanics, you just need the communication. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Okay, I can see that um, Sam's unmuted himself. So after Sam's uh, made his point, we're going to go to an ad break, okay? Go on, Sam.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, um, I completely agree with both of those points. I think uh, Michael um, uh, does make a point. I think uh, that Dungeons & Dragons definitely is set up for combat. Uh, I think they've moved away from the idea of that, though. They're trying to move further and further away from it. I mean, in the the, the first couple of editions, you could actually gain levels depending on how much gold you got. I think also the with the number of people who are now moving to milestones rather than experience points. So previously, you only really got experience points through killing monsters, and uh, and now kind of people are, are moving more towards kind of uh, having milestones. But I, I this is something I have debated kind of uh, with yeah you know, the people i'm playing with and also whether, whether i should be using dungeons and dragons on this um, because it is set up for for combat but as as i said i'm i'm dealing with mostly you know kind of teenagers who are coming from a video game background and a video a video games uh, they are getting better but generally i mean i remember playing games like ultima or baldurs gate or things like this where you could kill the shopkeeper could steal their stuff and there were no consequences at all or you could you could wait until you know the the furor died down and so um taking these teenagers and trying to slightly slowly build in kind of consequences for for these kind of things is quite an interesting uh you know, a path to take i mean one, once um fairly recently we had a game where the teenagers, you know, kind of the, the, the party stumbled upon uh, an owl bear came out and attacked them just because they were making a lot of noise and fighting too close to the owl bear's home. And I had already designed this uh, this uh, com, you know, kind of um, this this area, uh, but then they discovered when they killed the owl bear, you know, and and this is really heartrending, but kind of yeah. It, 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 young cubs and all of a sudden it was suddenly they pulled back it's like oh "Oh." you know it's like oh no what have we done and they realized the albert was just defending its home uh the mother albert so you know kind of bringing that in now obviously that is something you would not do with younger children but with teenagers i think it has a much more powerful effect in that sense
0: Yeah. Okay, guys, I'm just going to play the um, advert file and then we'll uh, go on to our next um, bit.
5: Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so um, that that's a lot of interesting talk there, um, about all sorts of things, and um, yeah, I um, there was there was, what was I going to say? I can't I can't remember now. There's uh, so so much to think about there. Um, now I wanted to ask all of you, um, because um, I guess brilliant example of a Twitter account where you know we we see or we hear firsthand about the experiences of a young child who's really into Dungeons and Dragons. Do any of you guys follow Red Worm on Twitter?
4: Of course, yeah. Yes, he is one
8: of my favorites. Yes.
0: Yes. Um, for those that don't know, Red Worm is this um is uh, guy who, blo- who blogs about uh D&D. He's also a musician, he writes his own stuff, but his main um thing is his five-year-old son, um, who is a uh dun- avid avid Dungeons and Dragons player and dungeon master. Um, and he posts daily conversations about Dungeons & Dragons with his son, and tips from his five-year-old son about playing D&D or running D&D games, and it's an absolute gold mine. I mean, this kid is probably going to have one of the best imaginations in the world ever, and I guess this is one of the benefits of playing Dungeons and Dragons now uh, or, or other tabletop RPGs. And that leads us on to um, I'd like all of you to give me or, or, or tell everybody um, some of the best most positive results and success stories that you've seen from your own students that you teach or if you are someone who designs or writes games what are some of the most inspiring feedback that you've received on your game
4: so i can see michael's unmuted himself go for it michael um yeah i i So I've been teaching for 20 years and I've taught all ages and since starting to design games specifically with mechanics to help kids learn where uh, your character's development and the world's development depends on the stories you write and where the stories you write shape the world and we create the world together. And I do this online using slide decks and the entire... Game is contained there, and everyone's stories get added to that communal project, which allows for lots of graphics. My son's eight, um, and the kids in in the class range from seven to thirteen. Um, I've got one kid who went from a couple of sentences uh, a year back to right now. He's got a hundred page novel based on the game that we've a bunch of the different games we've been playing that he's asking me to edit for him. Um, my son has gone from writing a sentence or two to page after page. Um, and I will say this as well, my kids, and this is, the, this is the most exciting piece, and I haven't yet figured out how to turn this into a class, but because I'm also teaching layout, editing, presentation, speaking, and design as part of the games, I've got kids making their own games. And that part for me has been the biggest um, the biggest boost, so one of my kids came in and said, "You know they were, we were ending class, and she appealed to the rest of the party and she said i've got this great idea for a game. Do you guys want to stay on and make this game with me? And they made together a game about Yellowstone national park she 'd read a book about some of the ecological problems in Yellowstone regarding the extinction of wolves. And they created this game, made characters for the game. One of them was a bunny, one was a badger. They all created special abilities. They started having conversations about mechanics. You know, they were arguing about dice size and probabilities. And um, and so, yeah, I've got a, another one made a game, an entire game based on the Warriors series, which has, uh, you know, cats uh, playing in different groups in the wild. And so there are multiple games these kids have made on their own. And so the, the Potential here is so phenomenal, and Redworm's, uh, you know, bullet points are great. I've been, you know, sort of dropping little quotes from my kids, but I can't keep up. The guy's the guy's brilliant. His <laughs> kids got got such, you know, the way he produces it, it's so wonderful. But the truth is that this is not just an exceptional kid or an exceptional parent. This is an interaction that anyone can tap into, and I think that conversation about mechanics. Just to bring it back, if you build a game. To, to simulate combat you'll simulate combat if you build a game to help kids learn to tell stories and to create and to write and to present they get a lot of agency and a lot of ownership and they'll take it and run with it we underestimate them yeah
0: oh uh, cool uh anyone else got any uh major success stories they want to talk about oh emily's unmuted herself and then we'll come to miranda go for it, emily
7: yeah a couple things um i i'll i'll, I'll brag on my students, and then I want to brag on my colleagues uh, really quickly, but um, my students (coughs) uh, do uh, what's called un-essays, which are kind of designed to kind of break free of the training of the five-paragraph essay that kind of dominates um, some of their prior education, uh, and so they're given kind of unlimited freedom to figure out the format in which they want to communicate the information that they're sharing. So my future teachers, some of them made lesson plans. Um, but what was most striking were my game designers, um, including I had introduced students, and I recommend this highly, uh, to the interactive fiction kind of generating uh, uh, site uh, system Twine, which you can yes, uh, visit at I Twinery. love Twine. Yeah. Twinery.org. You don't have to download anything, although you can. You can do it right from uh, your web browser and you can start to create the, the best uh, kind of comparison is a choose your own adventure. Um, and two, I was teaching a lot of uh, final year undergraduates in this course, and two of them made Twine uh, games that were really reflective of things that were happening on campus, things they were feeling at this kind of moment of transition. They were incredibly beautiful. So no mechanics, right? Aside from the the point and click of interactivity, uh, but really beautiful meditations. Um, that I don't think they would have produced in in any other situation. I also um, just want to mention.
0: Oh, god. Go oh, go yeah. For just um, for those that um, wondering what uh, uh, twine is, as Emily described it, twine is also free. So yes. it's yeah um, it's. There's no real barrier to entry. I just wanted to make that clear to listeners.
7: Absolutely, total, and very uh, low tech needs. If you are in a place where where your infrastructure in terms of internet might not be very robust, it's very lightweight as well. you can also do a similar kind of exercise with index cards offline, but it's it's very nice to kind of be able to all of a sudden create something that's a, a website, um, and it's it's neat as heck. Um, it's also actually the way that a lot of video games, professional game designers, will storyboard a the narrative beats um, prior to kind of going into the more intensive software systems to create their games. So it's also yeah. kind of got some like, transferable <clears throat> skill applicability. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention, cause it hasn't come up yet is that in higher education, especially here in the States, um, there's a role playing game suite of tools called reacting to the past um, that are self-contained experiences that run for a day, several days, sometimes even several weeks of immersing students in the experience of a pivotal historical moment. Every student takes on the experience of a real historical person. They're given the primary documents they need to understand that person's position. So you can think about kind of like, um, a crisis point in the French Revolution. My my dear friend, Abby Perkis, was one of the co-writers of the Title IX uh, game, which debates the US um, development of the laws around um, kind of women in higher education. I'm um, looking law- this up
0: right now, by the way. It's amazing.
7: <laughs> um, and what's really lovely for folks who are in lower grades is that um, Reacting was designed for higher ed, but they are in the process of creating simpler um, transferable versions that are appropriate for uh, what we in the U.S. would call um, uh, high school, so kind of teenage uh, years um, and uh, so suitable for those kinds of classrooms. And we've had a bunch of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Anya Bertolette, Dr. Sarah Hamilton, and a bunch of other of my colleagues here at Auburn University have really dived into the use of reacting games in English and history classrooms, and it's a transformative experience. Students may not, as as my colleague, Dr. Hamilton says, they may not have memorized all the dates, but they know the reasons why history happened, the contrafactuals, how it could have gone differently, and also get that kind of empathy engine going Experiencing the realities of lives not their own, which is, I think, something that all of us uh, here today are really invested in.
0: Um, yeah, so- and that's so much more important because here in the UK, we've our our conservative politicians seem to think that rote learning knowledge is more important than you know the actual understanding of it um, from the things that they're saying and um, you know the reasons why, as you say, it's so much more important.
7: I live in the deep U.S. South. I have no idea what you're talking about. Conservative, what?
0: <laughs> uh, basically, Boris Johnson, our prime minister, and uh, his party. Yes, no, no. Uh, I, I.
7: I uh, yes, I, I promise. Yeah. I, I was, uh, I was uh, in the UK doing research uh, the day of the Brexit vote. So,
9: great, sympath- <laughs> great sympathies from from
7: us over in uh, comparable
0: situations oh. down here in the U.S. South. <laughs> okay i wanted to uh, go to miranda next um yes go for so the
2: biggest successes i have seen have kind of been in a different way and someone i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about my own kid here um mm. so i do blog about the sessions that we do with our children Redworm was actually like the first person to read my blog and i don't think it picked up any way because i mean he's the one that helped it get picked up actually but um we started doing this with our children and the growth of my daughter since we started playing has been phenomenal. Um, we really started to do it with her because of confidence. She's, she's so smart, but she is timid and shy and she holds back. And this last session that we played, this was a, it was a really fun one. My husband created a Gravity Falls slash Scooby-Doo uh, session for us yes. to play.
0: And, I love Gravity Falls. Oh, my
2: kids love it. That's what we did for Halloween. I think we've watched it through about fifty times since last year. <laughs> um, they absolutely love it.
0: And I, 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 I just wanted to say the um, it, when Gravity Falls, the uh, the balloon that said "I eat kids," I died, <laughs> I, I died of laughter it's at so that great. point. <laughs>
2: um, no, so we had like this was like this uh, like mystery circus fair, and like the leader was you know Grunkle Stan, essentially Mister Mystery, and things like that but I had never seen her more involved in a session before her role playing was at its peak. She was confident. She was speaking, she was leading the group. And that's kind of the position that we've put her in as she's kind of the leader of our group. I mean, she eventually, she was first confident in combat. She loved it. She loved rolling dice. She loved doing the math. Um, The first time ever, she was like, I want to do thunderous smite while we were in a cave, fighting uh, skeletons and the echo and it blew us all away. But seeing her own growth and her, cause she she does have anxiety coming over this and talking and speaking and leading. It's just been such a wonderful thing to see as a parent. And then um, Mm -hmm. with this group um, that my husband has started, it's once again, this is a different kind of success my, when well, my daughter does play in the group too, one of her friends is now playing in the group. They both were having trouble making friends at school and they found each other and now they get to do this together. And some of the other kids that are in this group too, one of the parents messaged my husband and said that, thank you so much for doing this. This is the only thing that my child looks forward to. They're having a hard time in school. They're having a hard time in life. And it's giving these kids something to look forward to and enjoy and that is for me. That is for us. Just a huge success, giving these kids chances to make friends and to have something to look forward to when life is rough.
0: Mm. Brilliant. Okay, uh, Michael's unmuted himself. Go for it, Michael.
3: No, no, that's me. That's oh. we we oh, uh, changed on, because he was out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I think I can I can go on on this point because I'm I'm a bit in the in the middle between school and uh, private game, uh, playing. Um, I also play with my kids and and I saw how um, well this is and how can what what they uh, can achieve by by doing the games. My my daughter led led a game and after this she had to write an adventure story at school and she got full points and this was the moment for me when I started (laughs) thinking about you could use this for something. And now when I'm at occupational therapy, there are kids I'm playing with who who they have problems with at school and that's why they are at occupational therapy. They are not good at impulse control and concentration and at communication and cooperation. That's what they have to train there. And um, I made a statistic um, for all of these kids I, I had uh, during the, yeah, the first half of this year. And I, um, I, I made this statistic uh, with, the, with all of them and I could, could see that they, are, they improved really well, in concentration and in in length of concentration, and also in cooperation and communication skills, as well as tactical behavior, and this is this is statistics. But what really gave me a hype was when there there was a um, a girl. I was really sad that she had had to go because she was really um, a part of a group, but. She didn't need to come anymore because she didn't have any problems at school anymore. Because she uh, mm-hmm. first, when she came, she she was too afraid to to talk in class, and uh, she she wasn't concentrated in the in the, during the class, and she didn't know how and what to say. And after this, uh, she could do it, and she had a lot of more fun at school as well. So she can take s- things from this. Uh, TTRPG groups and take the benefits to the school, and this was the best thing for me to hear. And there are several of these children who are not at, in, in this therapy anymore because they don't need it, but maybe they play at home as well. I, I'm not sure. Yeah.
0: So that must be one of the most heartbreaking. Uh, so one of the hardest things of being a therapist is you build up a relationship with your uh, your. Clients or your students yeah. or the people you're seeing, and then once they've gotten better, you have to say you have to say goodbye to them. Don't yeah, you?
3: yeah. We we have to celebrate it a bit, so it's a, it's a good thing for them, and they get a yeah. uh, a pack of dice, and and they <laughs> they got mm. best wishes, and they can uh, create a where they, where their character lives on in our game, and and then they can really, can yeah. leave with with a good feeling. Yeah.
0: I love that. Okay, Rich, want to go to you next? I see you've unmuted yourself. Go for it.
6: Oh yeah, I want to. I want to sort of talk about it from the perspective of the parent because uh, we used to run a um a high sc- a group for high schoolers, uh, with games, uh, in Sprawls and and D and D five e actually, and um, basically we had to have a a parent present at all times during the sessions for safeguarding reasons, obviously. Yeah. And um. The fir- I remember the first session, uh, the parents stayed for the whole, It's about two and a half hours per, per, per session for fortnight. And um, yeah. the first thing she said to me is like, why do, you, why do you play these? Why do you play these role-playing games? And I, ju- mm. I didn't really have an answer at the time. I was kind of taken aback by it. I was yeah. like, you know, like, I was a bit <laughs> put on the spot. Um, uh, in hindsight, I could have defended the, 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 the reason, reasons for, for playing role-playing games, but to the, you know, to the ends of the earth. But um, I remember the first session, she was, she was sat at the back of the room where all the, all the, all the teenagers were around the table. There was about eight teenagers. And she, she had her phone out, and she was just flicking through, like, you know, like social media and things. Uh, and that was for a solid two hours. And then the second session came out about a month later. Uh, she, had a, she had a novel, and she was reading that. And I remember the third session, she started to look at the table and starting all the interactions between the kids and I. And uh, and and the third session, you know, I, I could see that she wanted to get involved. So I sort of said, "Do you want to be, be an NPC, which is a non-player character?" Yeah. And uh, and that's what she did. She picked up some dice from a from a from a teen, and uh, started playing. <laughs> yeah. So for me, that sounds like a, a great a great process of um of getting involved.
0: Yeah. All right, uh, Steph. Let's go to you next, and then we'll go to Sam.
8: So I have uh, kind of a story to sort of build off of uh, all of kind of the group experiences. So the game that I've been making for the pre-K, it's to help with social and emotional learning. And one of the stories that the teacher using the games told me was one of the first times they introduced it to the class. Everyone was pretty involved except for this one kid. Now, this is like a pre-K, so they're pretty young. and
0: Three, four-year-olds?
8: Yeah, around like three to five kind of age. Uh, And it gets to the end of class. This kid hasn't really been participating and things like that. They've kind of been sitting off on their own. And as the other kids are leaving, this little kid came up to the teacher and asked, can we play the game now? And the teacher said, sure, we have a few minutes before like, you know, your parents come, we can play it. And they got super excited and really into it and started engaging. And were able to kind of find that connection. I think they were just maybe like shy or nervous, but it gave them a way to participate and make a connection with the teacher and then be more involved later. I've also seen this with my son so with the uh pandemic and in my area it's been like particularly bad for a while um he hasn't had a whole lot of interaction with other kids and one of the concerns that i've had as his parent is that you know he needs to develop social skills and be able to uh still grow in that way even if we have to regulate his contact a little bit um, in order to keep things safe. So once I started introducing this curriculum, so it's like each week the pre-K focuses on a different set of skills, and I'm using that with him as well. So he's getting the benefit from it. He's been picking up skills for, like, doing deep breathing, the temper tantrums died down, and he's been making up stories about, you know, playing with other kids when we have had him with other kids, even if it, you know, he's not having daily contact with them. And, you know, we've taken him to see his cousin and things like that. He's played fine with them, and it's such a relief. And I think the games are helping, and he will talk to them about the games he's playing. And it's... (coughs) good to know that it's helping him in that way his speech development exploded after we started playing these um and it's just it's really helped with his development during a time when that was a really big concern to me and i'm hoping that it helps others as well
0: yeah no and I uh, I've I've really I've enjoyed using uh, as I say story guider with some of my younger kids. Okay Sam go for it.
1: Um well I can't really beat the uh, the stories about kind of uh, what parents are telling me about their children because that's that's amazing. Um I mean the reason why I I I started kind of talking to everyone I could about this stuff uh, and blogging about this was because there were so many different uh, learning outcomes from playing the games, uh, but I wanted to talk about uh, going a little bit back to what Michael was saying. Just if playing the game gives you so many different learning outcomes and so many different um, so many yeah, so many different areas where they are growing and they're going to, uh, they're they're finding their feet and they're finding their passion. I think. It's even more exciting seeing the students uh, becoming dungeon masters, becoming games masters, and uh, developing the games for themselves. It's, it's, it's so exciting. And, and seeing them learning about that, them, and then coming back to you and having conversations about that. So I, I did have one student who came to me and, you know, and, and was talk, we, we ended up talking about um, – whether longbows were something to do with strength or not, and then uh, kind of uh, going through, talk, telling him about the history of um, the Hundred Years' Wars and the, 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 the power of the longbow in Agincourt and things like this. I also had another group, which I played for, with, uh, for a term, and I was always intending to kind of switch the groups because I had a few other students who I knew were kind of waiting to play in, a, in another group. But so at the end of that term, and and these were, they were very kind of, in some ways quite immature little boys. So they loved their fart jokes, and they were a little bit murderho Um <laughs> But I I said to them at the end, you know, I've I've got some other you know, uh, students who are waiting to play, and you know, and I suggested, well, why don't one of you take on the role of dungeon master? And one of them, who was probably kind of. Um, I think he, he struggles in school. Um, I definitely can't, can't name it, but um, no, he no. took on the role of dungeon master. And he re- it really just took off because he, I think more than, certainly more than me, he was at their level and able to kind of build in those, those silly you know, boyish jokes. Uh, but then he yeah. was coming back to me after the sessions and saying, how do I balance the session, you know, the, the combat? How do I engage them? How do I, you know, what should I do for um. this? And, and that was so exciting to see his growth in development and wanting to learn. And that's, for me as a, as a teacher, just having that passion to learn and come back and asking questions about those things, you know, just being able to stand up in front of four or five other boys and, do this storytelling would have been such a valuable experience for him. I mean, so yeah. many times we we try and get the, yeah, the teenage students to to uh to do presentations and they they present things in a very flat voice and kind of they're very nervous. Mm. But when they're engaged in the storytelling and trying to kind of really capture the attention, they they embody it and they learn so much more. And and that's for me is is one of my big success stories. So
0: that sounds brilliant and i have to um i have to uh, say what you were saying even adult games can sometimes descend into immature shenanigans i mean you know anyone who's watched critical role yeah, knows absolutely. that and my own my own game as well i'm the one playing silly songs on my guitar and piano and uh, got all sorts of silly shenanigans going on okay guys before we have uh, any more contributions i can see Ka- uh, Catherine and michael are um, ready to say something i need to play the weekend news and um the advert files so take um a five minute uh uh about three three four minute break if you need to go to the toilet get um a drink or anything like that now it's time to do it am gonna play the weekend news and uh the advert and then we'll finish off the show
5: this is teachers talk radio And this is Teachers Talk Radio
4: News.
9: Following the latest government restrictions to reduce the spread of the new COVID variant, University and College Union is advising that it would be sensible to move university lessons online. The temporary measure would see online lessons return for the final week of term. The union is calling for the move to protect students ahead of Christmas after the Department for Education told universities to remain open for face-to-face teaching as planned. Some individual universities, including Imperial College London, have already made the move following rapid rises in cases on campus. The union is also calling for risk assessments to be conducted before students and staff return after the festive period. Schools must not lose sight of their core purpose amidst new demands for vaccinating pupils, testing children for Covid and dealing with anti-vax protesters, says Ofsted's Regional Director for London. According to a report in the Evening Standard, Mike Sheraton said that schools exist to educate children and to keep them safe, but acknowledged that school leaders are being pulled from pillar to post with new expectations. His comments come after the watchdog announced that Ofsted inspectors would not visit schools in the last week of term unless there were safeguarding concerns. In Scotland, The Daily Record reports Nicola Sturgeon's comments that she will bust a gut to keep schools open after also suggesting that there will be a tsunami of infections due to the latest variant. Whilst the First Minister acknowledged that there would be disruptions to schools due to infections, she indicated that there would be no return to the countrywide closures seen at the start of the pandemic. This week leaders from Eastern and Southern Africa recommitted to the education, health and well-being of adolescents and young people. As part of the International Conference on AIDS and Sexually Transmitted Infections, Ministers of Health and Education from 20 countries across the region agreed to renew their commitments first made in 2013. The drive will continue to focus on creating and implementing a more systematic scale-up of sex education, including a focus on reducing early and unintended pregnancy, gender-based violence, and health and well-being. Deputy Minister of Basic Education in South Africa stated, our young people are our hope for the development of our continent. And Zanzibar Minister for Education said it was important to create a land where our adolescents and young people are healthier, more productive, and contribute to a more inclusive society. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox.
5: Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Inc. Phonics, Floppy's Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit OxfordPrimary.com forward slash phonics
0: okay and we're back um so yeah um by the way just um Joe fox our news reader said um she liked to apologize in advance if she had a bit of a croaky voice during that news read she's a bit unwell at the moment but so now it sounded great Joe thanks for that right um so we have guys about fifth. 50- minutes of the show left. I know Catherine and Michael wanted to say something. So, Michael, do you want to uh, go first?
4: Yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I just wanted to riff off of what Sam was saying and open the door back up to the discussion of creating and designing games for the classroom. I think this is a really um, exciting time in uh, in tabletop role-playing games. People are starting to realize the power of the tool and um, designing for content, you know, he discussed how a tabletop game that focuses on combat got his kids into the question of which statistic to use to affect a longbow, strength or dexterity. OK, that's, that's really exciting, but that opened the door to discussing history. There's so much potential here for building in educational value in the, the context for the game, in the setting for the game. So. I teach reading, writing, and presentation to kids at LuckOfLegends.com online, and that's been huge. And I'm starting to experiment a little with other subjects. So I have a setting, Knights of the Microbiome, where kids play microbes in the human body. try from invasion. There's a lot of a lot of kids really excited to fight COVID, um, and. <laughs> And it's been amazing to me. They get really into researching the human body, figuring out what the different parts of the human body do. Um, we had them exploring the uh, the metropolis of the gut and talking about how how nutrients are broken down and absorbed. Um, they created different peoples who lived in the lungs near where the oxygen was, was put into the bloodstream. And they were really passionately investigating and researching. And it works for all kinds of kids. I've had neurodivergent kids, kids on the spectrum. I've had kids who had really serious uh, social issues. And they've bonded really well, made really lasting friendships. Um, We joke about the after parties being being the most exciting thing. As long as everyone's parents agree, a lot of my, my groups stay on for a good hour afterwards, arguing, writing stories together, adding slides, discussing. And I think that kind of engagement is something every teacher and every parent wants to see. So the potential for this to be a tool for teaching sciences, history, uh, language arts, even math, of course, um, and there's a lot of potential for creating mechanics that allow kids to practice level appropriate math. And they'll do the practice in a fully engaged, excited way if it's leading to story moments that they value, where they connect with other kids. So I think there's just an immense uh, wealth of potential for use in the classroom and beyond. And I'm really excited to see so many people working with it.
0: Okay, brilliant. Um, Catherine, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I, I got a, a very similar perspective I think to, to Michael and we already talked about it and that we just can't understand why why there are not so so few teachers using this tool um, two years ago I started um, designing um, curricular uh, TTRPG but for for um, German classes I choose an adventure where you really uh, learn something you you have to learn at school it's, it's in the cur- curriculum. And you can play in the in a fairy tale world, and there are um, tasks you have to do. That you, you would also have to do in class, but but they make sense in the game, and they they um, yeah, you, you have to do them, and they are part of this game and of this world, and so yeah, it's it's just so so a lot of more fun. And uh, to the, when I started this, I also thought about what what other, other subjects you could use this for. Just like Michael said, and my other subjects are bi- biology and physics, and it's no problem. You can do it there, no? just like Michael said. You can also do this, of course, in history. You can let them run through Rome and look uh, which toga means what. To whom can I talk? No? How can what what is written on the wall here? And how can I come into this uh, this house? To, to whom do I have to talk? There is no problem, but uh, there are so few teachers doing this. So please, teachers, just start it. It's not so. It's not so hard mm-hmm. to do it. And um, the other thing, which um, is yeah, connected to the the um, game leading or the, the students who, who lead the games themselves, is something I could see in my groups. And there's, it, it's really interesting when you see that the game leader is changing. It's, it's a switching. You can... Uh, that, oh, my English. I'm sorry. That different or all... It's okay. It's That everyone in this group sometimes can, can do the game leading, and they know the perspective from player and game leader. And this is something which is really important because some... Of the kids just then learn to know how important it is um, that they um, really bring the game forward and what it, what, uh, what it that, that it's hard sometimes to be the game leader when the others don't really um, want to, to, um, to push the game forward and there's a lot of respect that forms through this uh, to each other, to all the roles in the game when there's not only one person who is leading the game this is also very interesting i think
0: yeah um and um oh what was i what was i gonna so yeah, I think um, the reason why perhaps, as we said before, um, people can be so afraid of um, of taking this kind of thing up because they might know tabletop RPGs from, as we say, Dungeons and Dragons, which uh, they might think it's all about violence, and they might have remembered the panic in the nineteen eighties or or what, whatever it is, or that generally lots of my colleagues and people i've worked with can be quite afraid of things that are considered quote nerdy um and so i i guess but i guess what all of us are trying to do i mean i'm 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 just the guy who's uh bought um who's hosting this show i've done a bit of but i'm nowhere near as experienced as the seven of you but i still that shout out about and vouch for all of these things. Okay, Emily, go for it.
7: Well, I just wanted to s- kind of bump onto that and say, um, we're in this time where not only is D&D in the popular imagination, but it's it's in ways that we haven't seen before. Uh, this month's Sports Illustrated, the front cover is story is about Johnny Stanton, a very successful US football player who is also deeply devoted to D&D. Uh, we saw um, Henry Cavill talk about Warhammer 40K on the Grand mm-hmm. Morton show recently. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and also um, we have things like Celebrity D&D and the, uh, the gamer station G4 here in the U.S. just relaunched with the very first ever um, d and television show. Uh, which is almost kind of run like whose line is it anyway by the splendid b dave walters so there's all of these kinds of access points that they're in addition to the actual plays that are streaming and our students uh, you know have the ability even if they're not familiar with it to have these kinds of accessible moments um, the other nice thing that i wanted to mention because we've been talking a lot about D and um and other systems that are built on a Dungeon Master, Game Master, Storyteller-led system. But what I really love in the classroom are what are called GM-less systems, systems where everyone is is equal. Um, And so the the kind of forward momentum is usually built uh, in terms of a card system or something along those lines. I particularly like in the classroom um, a game that you can play in 20 minutes um, called For the Queen you can make it last much much longer um, and I've talked about how you can kind of um, use it in the classroom in these kinds of expanding ways my students who are thinking about who are going to be entering the middle and high school grades have written lesson plans around this storytelling game it's a deck of cards you pick your picture of a queen and you go around answering questions about your relationship to the queen and at the end the queen is under attack will you defend her um, And that's it. Um, Really love um, The Quiet Year, which is a collaborative storytelling game about maps, about you drawing a map of a a world um, for one year prior to the unspecified threat coming back into the community. Uh, It has a, for older students, it has a great companion, um, The Deep Forest, which is basically from the monster's point of view, which is really lovely. Um, to think about the ways that a lot of games are tied into colonialism, um, which is something we haven't talked about. That's a kind of violence that uh, you know, is, is, is harder to, to our, wrap our minds around. Um, and for high school students in particular, I, and college students, I love Spencer Stark's Alice is Missing, which is a game you play for exactly 90 minutes on your phone or a messaging system. And it is amazingly moving, really easy to set up, really thoughtful. It's got some sensitive material, but it incorporates safety tools in a really smart way. And it's you are playing high school students, so it's really right there as an empathy engine. And it won every award it was up for this year and deservedly so. So those are my nice. big plugs for gm systems that you don't need to know a bunch about d d or, I mean, I love d d don't get me wrong, but um, if you need something as a teacher or a, a kind of concerned, loving adult um, that doesn't require a whole lot of prep on your part, uh, these are some really great systems.
0: Fantastic. Okay, we've only got uh, less than four minutes left, guys. So um, very quickly before we finish the show, I want each of you to um, what would what would be the number one piece of advice you would give to a teacher who's thinking of starting to use rpgs in their classroom okay uh so who'd like to go first
4: i can jump in here um michael By the way, um, so I I wanted to say something about For the Queen, but I won't, but yay, For the Queen. Um, (laughs) Such a great game. Uh, Yeah, so for teachers out there who are interested, um, I've got a lot of material on my blog at luckoflegends.com. Steph and I are going to be putting out a a blog uh, coming up that really talks about how to help kids learn to play and how to learn to play as a teacher. I'm considering releasing some of my curriculum, but you know we're, we're just a drop in a sea of wonderful resources. There's so much out there. I think the key is get yourself to a table, play some games yourself, um, and it will be hard for you not to fall in love. One thing we talk about a lot is if you've been to a table, you won't leave. Um, and I'll say uh, there's a lot of great actual plays out there. I'll say again, storiesrpg.com. I have a free to download and play with your kids role playing game there and it comes with an actual play podcast so your kids can listen along to a parallel storyline released by the amazing folks at stories podcast which is a huge uh kids uh storytelling podcast and they play through one episode every month and we're releasing more chapters so there's lots of ways to get involved please just uh just
0: Brilliant. Um, Anyone else want to uh, jump in? We've got two minutes. Uh, Miranda, go. Um,
2: So the biggest thing I want to say is just do it. If you're thinking of doing it, just do it. You're going to have fun. Just do it! Kids are going to have fun. (laughs) They're going to learn. It's going to be amazing. Check out Steph's blog. She's got a lot of great games on there that you can do with younger kids. Um, Check out Family Fantasy RPG. They've got a wonderful set of games. If you're a music educator or history teacher, check out Time Cellist. If you go through history, trying to stop the maestro of maliciousness, it's, as I think it's Tchaikovsky. It's so cool. There's just, just do it. Love it. Check out all of the just resources. Do yeah. Just do it.
0: Yes. Just great advice. Right. Rich, go. <laughs> uh, just, uh, just, uh, <laughs> just getting from, from
6: Miranda saying, just, um, just take the leap really. If you're in a school, and you're in a school educational setting, just approach the headmaster yeah. or, or the curriculum um, uh, unit and, um, and, and put your point across that you want to, you want to run games. After, even if it's after school clubs.
8: Brilliant. Steph, go. <laughs> uh, jump into it, like everyone else is saying. It takes <laughs> like five seconds of courage is, you know, it, it takes some building up to, but once you start it and the kids start engaging and getting into it and you start having that story back and forth, it's so rewarding for everyone. Just try it out. Brilliant. Emily, go. <laughs> we are in the golden
7: age of actual plays. Any game that you might wanna run that you're worried about what does it look like, you can put into YouTube and find a great actual play. Um, One Shot RPG is a great podcast that tries out uh, systems uh, in really accessible ways as well. I'll put in, since we talked about Tales of Exandria, if you're really interested in some My Little Pony goodness, Mark Humes uh, did a guest DM spot for Critical Role that shows you Tales of Exandria, and he is a treasure, uh, probably the greatest uh, UK-based dungeon master in the game today.
0: Brilliant. Um, Sam, go. Mm-hmm.
1: I'd voice uh, what everyone else has been saying, just have a go. And also there are so many resources out there, but if you're a teacher and you've never come across role-playing games before, there are games. Just just get involved. And once you start playing, you'll just understand how it all works and fits together. That's my advice.
0: Brilliant. And last but by no means least, Catherine, go.
3: Yeah, and if you're a teacher and you still need some uh, really resources in your hand there will be a book <laughs> in the mm-hmm. maybe next year i hope so um where you can get all you need and but the, it's all in the internet anyway <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Okay. Well, um, that is all we have time for, everybody. So I want to say thank you to all seven of you for joining us. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Emily. And thank you, Steph. It's been amazing having you all on the show. We've had a brilliant discussion around all of the benefits and all of the things that you can do with tabletop rpgs and Dungeons and Dragons and all sorts of variety of things in education um if you've been dro- I saw people drop in and out uh, listening live if you listen live thank you if you're downloading this episode and listening also thank you very much and I've now overrun by a couple of minutes so I need to finish there um so Hopefully I will see you next week, which is my last show before Teachers Talk Radio takes a Christmas hiatus. So, so hope to see you then. Thanks for listening and goodbye.
5: You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time